The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings and welcome to episode 106 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, as the lovely ladies said out front, I am Jason A. Meiske, a thriller author and the host of this and every episode. And let me tell you, it's a great job. (laughs) I so enjoy getting to spend my time talking with authors from all over the world, different genres, and, you know, listening to their sample chapters and getting to share those sample chapters with you, the listener. It's the greatest thing I ever could have stumbled into. I, I still sometimes, you know, just kind of pinch myself as to how in the world this has happened. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Well, <laughs> speaking of sharing and being happy, you may have noticed at the very start there was something a little bit different. <laughs> we have some big news. This show has been picked up by the Project Entertainment Network. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. And and I, I couldn't be happier about the way everything worked out. We are still also on the Pop Quiz the Culture Network. So we're now a part of two different networks. And I I just I couldn't be happier. This is this is a really uh kind of a almost a dream come true. I was a fan of Project Entertainment over a year, well over a year before I started podcasting, before this show began. So now it's just awesome to have been invited and to get to join the this network, you know, and, and to be a part of two of them. That's just icing on the cake, man. I mean, <laughs> this is this is great. So thank you very much to Armand Rosamilia, who runs the network, and uh, to all the other shows over on Project Entertainment Network. I salute you all. You're doing great work, and I look forward to working with you. Our guest this week, he's a speculative horror thriller author out of Alberta, Canada. And you know, this is one of those times where the, uh, well, let me see. The best way to put this, I get along with all of the authors. I, I always get along really well. I have a good talk. Things go really well, you know, but man. Speaking with this week's guest, the marvelous M.J. Preston was a real treat. I mean, he and I, I think, just really hit it off. You know, there's always a little bit of hesitation at the beginning because neither one of us know each other yet. We're trying to get a feel for it, you know. And, of course, an author coming on a podcast, you know, they they never know what to expect, you know, from this guy, this voice on the other side. <laughs> But, uh, you know, by the time it was all done, we chatted for another half hour, 45 minutes after the episode was done, and we just had a fantastic time. I really enjoyed talking to him. I cannot wait to share this episode. You're going to love this. He is a blue-collar guy, something I really respect. Uh, He gives us some great advice on writing. Uh, We get to talk about how, when he does write, for him, it's it's, uh, he sees the movie playing in his head as he writes, you know, he's a very visual kind of writer. 
And, uh, you know, and I think one of the other reasons that we got to talking so much and had so much in common was he is also a Robert McCammon fan like myself. And so we just went on and on and on talking. Wolf Sour, Boy's Life, Swan Song, <laughs> you name it. And, you know, I got to tell you, when he begins to read, and I know he's nervous. I know he's listening to this right now going like, Jason, what are you doing? Just get to it. Now, I, everybody, be ready for this. MJ does a great job. He really does a great job. And this is one of those rare moments where I, I was sitting on the edge of my seat when he was doing the reading. Um, I'll be honest, you know, total honesty here. A lot of times when the author is doing their reading, that's when I'm trying to put some paperwork together, make some other notes, work on, you know, maybe even work on another show because I go back and I edit. So I hear that. I hear the story a lot, man. He just, MJ just pulled me right in from the start, kept me riveted throughout. And I couldn't wait to hear what was going to happen. And like, I, you know, I cut it out, but I gave like an audible groan when it was over with like, oh my gosh. So, you know, he, he's got a, he's got a new reader in me. I've got to see how this goes. Uh, the day that this episode comes out, February 25th is the day that the book comes out. His latest book four It's in the Highwaymen series, uh, from wild blue press. And so, yeah, it's, it's available right now. So Stay tuned. You're going to hear that interview. You're going to hear a chapter from him and uh, then go get that. But before we do all that, I want to say thank you so much to my sponsors and, of course, the friends of the show. Like you store all the absolute best self-storage facility there is in the Warrensburg area with two facilities, fenced in, gated, your own private gate code, climate control, solar power, LED lighting. It's you name it. This place has got it. Check them out online at ustoral.net so you can find out more. And that's spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. And, of course, my other sponsor, Scrivener. It's, it's made for writers by writers. So, I mean, how could it go wrong? <laughs> I use this software every day. And here lately, I have two of my books open at the same time on Scrivener. So I open it up at the top of the hour to do at least 15 minutes of writing into my new book, which is The Bandit Chronicles, part two. I've already finished part one. Then I go into book two, and I'm, I'm writing that at the top of the hour for about 15 minutes. Then I click the tab, go over to my other book, and I work on that, editing for the next 45 minutes. And going back and forth like that is keeping me fresh. Uh, if I'm Whenever I'm editing, if I realize I've messed up a chapter somewhere, or if I've forgotten one of my notes that's in another chapter, it's easy to move things around. You know, I can't say enough good things about Scrivener. I love it. I, I know you're going to love it. So stay tuned for a commercial from Scrivener and find out how you can save yourself 20%. And then I want to say thank you so much, as always, to my friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network. Joey Mills running the group over there with his Pop Goes the Culture podcast. That one comes up every Friday. It's a lot of fun. That's the flagship show for the network. But they also have, at popgoesaculture.com, there is a whole slew of blogs and podcasts and all kinds of other you know book and movie reviews going on over there. And uh, you definitely want to check that out. So get on over. Click the links in the show notes to get on over to popgoesaculture.com and see what else there is for your entertainment. 
And last but not least, I want to say thank you once again to all my new friends over at Project Entertainment Network. And I am just thrilled to be one of those 25 shows. I I think I listened to a little over half <laughs> of the shows on the network. And it never missed an episode. So make sure you also click the links in the show notes for Project Entertainment. Coming up next, you're going to hear an ad from one of those shows, followed by an ad from Scrivener. And then we're going to get into our interview with the marvelous MJ Preston. Armcast, Dead Sexy Podcast. I'm your host, Armand Rosamilia. Fridays exclusively on Project Entertainment Network, where I interview authors, publishers, editors, artists, filmmakers, narrators, the lady from Walmart, whoever I feel like talking to. That's every Friday, Armcast, right here on Project Entertainment Network. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. Now, that's a little Mad Max throwback for you. Today we have a wonderful horror author. To his neighbors, he's a quiet and unassuming guy who works a blue-collar job. What they don't know is that he also writes dark speculative fiction. He's been printed all over the world. I am talking about M.J. Preston. M.J., welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So hopefully you got my Mad Max reference there. <laughs> I did, actually. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, uh, I come late to the game, or at least I find uh, what little notoriety I guess I have uh, coming late to the game is, as you mentioned, we're about the same age, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna out you, but I'm 55, <laughs> and I've been writing my whole life. Like I started out as a, a young man and I have aspirations. You know, I was inspired by guys like Stephen King and uh, Robert R. McCammon. You know. I, I was a voracious reader and I wanted to be a writer, but it's a very hard market to uh, to break into, and especially before the whole Amazon thing came to light. So I'm going way back. I was writing on a typewriter back in the uh, the 80s, mm. clicking away, you know, on an electric typewriter, which I thought was state of the art. Um, <laughs> but and I don't know how I did it, but so everything went on paper, and you know, it's it's a difficult process. But I was a young man. I got married very early, and and I had a son, and uh, so I ended up joining the army for twelve years, and I still wrote in my spare time. My first novel, I wrote probably half of it while I was in in the army, but I kind of shelved it and accepted the fact. I thought, well, I'm going to be a soldier for the rest of my career, and that's what I'm going to do. But I still, I went out and I wrote reportage uh, for the military. Uh, we had, you know, like a base paper, so I wrote for them. 
And anyways, after I got out of the military, uh, I, I found the old, an old manuscript that I'd been working on, and that was the Equinox. That was my first book. And I just decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try and finish this manuscript, and then I'm going to try and sell it to somebody. Well, the selling part wasn't real easy because, you know what, the fact of the matter is, if you want to get in with the big publishers, you, you almost always got to have an agent. And when you're an absolute unknown, that's very, very difficult to get an agent. And you, agent I, I find today, because like, I know a lot of writers who are now breaking out, is they end up getting agents after they have their breakup. Because now the agent wants them because they see that they're a success story. But for the most part, it's very tough to get an agent. Yeah, one of one of my uh, one of my early authors that I was following, I heard him on a podcast talking about to get a publishing deal, you need to have a book and a presence. But how do you do that without getting a book in the first place? And he, he was just like, yeah. So I, I he ended up going indie, and uh, you know he's still chugging along. But yeah, and there's there mixed feelings about that. Eh? There's some people that think you know it should be the traditional thing. But quite frankly, this this has opened up the gates for a lot of talent to actually be heard. Think of all the writers that just, you know, just couldn't get published. Maybe, you know, they got manuscripts sitting in their basement. They just they couldn't do it. But maybe their stuff, you know, it just wasn't for that publisher. Hmm. But, you know, the a publisher usually only reads the first page. And if, if you ain't hooked to man, guess what? It's going on the on the pile and they're going to the next one. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, you never know. I mean, you know, one of us could end up writing the next Bird Box or The Martian. And oh, uh, next thing you know, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so just to get back to my story, and I'll, I'll real fast because nobody wants to hear my whole life story. So <laughs> I, I finished Equinox, and, and I tried to get it published traditionally, and that didn't work. So I said, to hell with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. I was actually encouraged by another writer who said, you know what? Why are you holding back? Just go, go do it. And I did it and I entered it in the Amazon Breakthrough Awards, which they used to have back then. Mm. And then it's a horror novel, The Equinox. And I, I mean, a real straight up horror novel with a monster and mayhem and all sorts of things. So when I, I, I put it in on a lark because I thought, well, first of all, it's a horror novel. So there's no way that I'm going to win this. And, uh, I made it to the semifinals and this was like, a, I don't know, there was like 35,000 entries. I think I got down into the last hundred before I got pumped by a, I don't know, probably a cute book about flowers or, or, you know, or some, somebody who tried to do something, you know, a, a literary piece or I, I can't remember who won it, but I, I was still pretty jacked because every week I was watching the book go up and up and up. And it found some, I, I guess you could say underground success. I mean, the book did okay. And, uh, everybody it just, it, even now, because that book has been re-released with Wild Blue Press, even now that book gets so much love. And, you know, so at, at any rate, so I went on from that, I went and I became an ice road trucker. I drove the ice roads up in the Northwest territories. And while I was up there, I was pimping my book on the ice, you know, Hey man, got a new book. You know, anybody want to buy a book? And we sold actually a bunch of books up there. And then I got the idea for my second novel, which was Acadia event. And Acadia event was based on the ice roads. So I, I did a, I did three seasons up there on the ice roads and, and that was really, really inspiring. Very cool. So anyway, so I wrote Acadia event and then we could get to the books that we're going to talk about today, Highwayman. 
and Ford. And the reason that I, I mentioned Highwayman, because Ford is the one that's being released uh, brand new, is the two books are the same story. And they go, they, you know, they're, they go together. Highwayman is the beginning of a series that I'm writing. And it's this, these two books, one story. After God willing, and I sort of, you know, uh, life carries on and things don't step on it. I've got another manuscript and that'll be a completely separate story from this one, but it will draw characters from those first two books. And that's the intention with the, with the whole series. I don't know how long it's going to go, but we'll, we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah. And oh my gosh. All right. So much to unpack here. All right. Uh, so I'm going to step back just a moment. First, I want to just say something I really appreciate is your blue collar background because you, you joined the military, you know, got out of the military. You still went right to work. Uh, something I think a lot of authors, I mean, myself included, have in common with you is that we've always been writers and yet the job, you know, you got to do the things to take care of your family. And I've, I've talked to a lot of authors like that who, whatever, whatever that job was, it's, you know, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to write and I've got stories in my drawers that are waiting to be done, but, uh, waiting for that moment. And, uh, but you know, you're, you're a devoted family man. You're going to, you know, do what you got to do. And, you know, I, I, for me it was, and I've talked about this a lot on the show. It's, it was when I found out I was going to be a grandpa, that was when I was like, oh crap. All right. You know what? No more waking up in the morning to watch the DVR. That's writing time from here on. Cause I need to do the thing I dreamed of. And it sounds like that was kind of um, along the same lines for you. You get into your, uh, after the military, which thank you so much for your service. Uh, but then, you, you know, you go into your trucking and then it's like, ah, you know, I'm going to start doing some writing. And uh, that was awesome that you still picked that up years later and, and got going with it. Yeah, well, I mean, the lucky thing with, with actually with trucking is because you usually get screwed over at a loading dock, right? <laughs> so you don't spend two, three hours there. And I always carried a laptop with me. So w once I got serious about, you know, actually writing, it was like every time that truck stopped, uh, you know, I would pull that laptop out, put it on the steering wheel and clack, clack, clack for however long. And the same thing in the morning or if I was waiting for a customer, if I was waiting for anything. So, yeah. I, uh, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of respect for blue collar people because while the people of the world sit there and pontificate, you know, and I'm talking about leaders and rich people and all that, and they all say, at the end of the day, it is the blue collar people that are the backbone of the world. I mean, if without us, nothing would happen. You know, you wouldn't get your food. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get your fuel for your vehicles. You wouldn't get your heat for your house. It's blue-collar people connected, all of that. And, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever, ever shed my blue-collar skin completely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that first book, then, that you went back into is something you've been working on off and on, The Equinox. What was the uh, what was the genesis for that? Like, where, where was that idea? Where did How did that come about? Well, back in, uh, I would say, about... 87 or 86. I can't really, you know, nail down the exact year. As I said, I'm getting old. Um, but, uh, I, I'd, I'd seen a lot of movies, read a few books. I read, uh, John Ferris's The Fury. I don't know if you remember that, that book. Do you by chance or, or the movie? They made yeah. a movie out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Doug. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 The Fury. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was fascinated with the concept of the, you know, the, the chase. And I think, you know, Stephen King did something similar after with uh, Firestarter. But what I liked about the Fury was that th this guy played by Kirk Douglas was unyielding and getting back his son and he was doing everything he could. And so that inspired me to write this story. And, and, and just to give a quick blur on the Equinox, it's about a half-breed Choctaw native man named Daniel Blackbird. And inadvertently in his, um, his people's land, which is in the deep, deep North of Canada, uh, they have a curse on them and every Equinox, they have to do what's called a ritual circle in the woods to contain an evil spirit that comes at every equinox. So it comes a spring equinox and fall equinox. Mm. And this thing is skinwalker and it can look like anybody do, but it, it's like almost like a skinwalker windigo hybrid. It has to eat. And, uh, anyways, it escapes on the world and Daniel Blackbird is the one that said it on the world because of he, he didn't believe in his, uh, his people's traditions and, and it managed to get by him and it kills his grandfather in the process who is the elder of the, uh, of the people. And so Daniel Blackbird sets out on this 14 year long trek to try and stop this thing. And that's where the story goes. And I have a kind of a, it, it's a, it's a lot of Aboriginal stuff in it, but it's also got a police procedural side to it. And these two cultures, uh, basically clash at the same time as this creature is in town and Blackbird is going to have his big, you know, showdown with it or whatever. But yeah, it was just a great horn. So, you know, chasing a monster, it killed your grandfather. So you're dr driven by vengeance, but you're also driven by a sense of responsibility because it was his fault. And it's, it's just killing its way across the Americas and he's tracking it. Right. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a fun book to write and it was a real, real learning experience for me as a writer because that's the first time I tackled something like that. At KD event, when it came out, the second one, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting away from your notes here. So you had a, <laughs> no, you no. Yeah, no, I, I love this. I love this because I love being able to, you know, introduce people who are listening to, you know, some of the other books. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. Tell me about Acadia event. Okay. So, anyways, Acadia event, that was just, well, I mean, that was a science fiction uh, horror, I would say. Because I don't like to put the whole science fiction thing on it because I probably get attacked by the, you know, the hardcore science fiction people. Uh, you don't know crap about warp speed drive this that or the, and i really don't i mean i i love star trek and and i'll, I'll watch a sci-fi movie but i'm not real boned up on that stuff so uh acadia event though is my my thing with that was is is i had a character named marty croft and he lives in the niagara region okay in in and but he's a guy he's a he's a commercial artist and he's got a past and it's kind of funny because acadia event was just re-released by wild blue press last month or actually in the last few weeks it was just brought out on the eve of four and anyways to just to get back to what i was saying is he has a past he and and he's a, he was a blue collar guy like me but he was a blue collar guy that drove a truck but he stole trailers for a living and he used to work for an irish an old irish gangster in the hamilton region and that's that's in ontario canada mm. and so anyways the old guy let him go 
because he thought of him as a son. And the old guy's name was Jude Seamus. And he's, like I say, an old Irish gangster. So he let him go. But he also had a psychopathic son. So when the old man dies, the psychopathic son comes back and he basically blackmails Marty into going up the ice roads to retrieve a package of stolen diamonds at one of the mines. And to get him to do that, well, they leverage his wife and put a threat on her. So in that sense, we've got one story where Marty's going up to the ice roads and, you know, maybe a bunch of people right now rolling their eyes, but oh, he was an ice road trucker, so he's got to tell an ice road story. But it was just such a great venue to do it. I mean, like, you, you have to see this place to believe it. And TV doesn't do its justice. Maybe something like National Geographic, but, you know, the sky just glows emerald green sometimes at night and you're, you're on top, you're, you're right below the Arctic Circle. So it's just a sea of ice in front of you. That's all you see for, you know, hundreds of miles. And so it was, I thought, man, if you're going to tell a story, what cooler place could you tell a story than this? So Marty's on his way to go up the ice. He's going to retrieve these stolen diamonds. They've kidnapped his wife. They're threatening to kill her, but there's a twist. There's two mines up there. There's the Minook mine, and the Minook mine is where Marty's going to get the diamonds from. That's the more, most northernmost mine. The other mine is the Acadia mine, and the Acadia mine has found something buried in the ice, and that buried in the ice is not of this world. And, of course, when we go digging around in the ice, just like in, I don't know, John Carpenter's The Thing, based on the John W. Campbell story, uh, it usually doesn't go well. And these guys inadvertently open up a portal to another world. And in comes pouring thousands of alien invaders. Mm. And so we've got the ice trucker thing going up for the heist. And this guy's all worried. But they're going to get detoured off off of that situation. And it becomes a fight for humanity in the North. And uh, well, it was just such a fun. I mean, I never had so much fun writing a story where you sit down and you're just, um, you know, typing away. And it's usually something gruesome and I'm laughing <laughs> because it's, for me, and I, and I don't know, and you can tell me if you agree or you disagree because you're a writer. Um, for me, it's like a movie rolls out in my head and I see this stuff. Yeah. And I, I really can't, I mean, if I could, if I could get it from the keyboard onto the page as fast as it rolls out in my head, man, I could write a million books. But I'm not that fast of a typer. But uh, like I say, a Katie event, yeah, it, did, uh, it didn't uh, didn't get as many reviews as as Equinox did. But everybody that read it gave it a lot of love. And uh, Gregory Norris was a guy I met when I was at a, uh, a, con- a writers convention in New Hampshire, and I gave him a copy of it. And he used to write for Star Trek Voyager, and he wrote for the Sci Fi Channel. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to give him this. And he's going to just, you know, pieces of it. And he came back, man. He plugged it. He, I mean, he's, he's plugged, he's plugged the book in the book and, you know, wow. on the, he, awesome. he, and I just said, I was, really? And I said, I you're going to take me to task. And he's, oh, I absolutely love it. But then Greg Norris is such a sweet guy. Uh, and, and he's a great writer. So anyway, so, and then that, that brought me to the next two books. And uh, that's Highwayman and Four. And as as you know, I kind of went off on a tangent about it earlier. But 
what I really like is like so many of the authors I talk to, and, and again, I'm very much the same way. That first book was a, a passion project, something that was there all along, something that maybe you dabbled in or had written uh, off and on. I was the same way. My first book was an off and on project for almost eight years before I finally finished it. But then going forward, it was something struck me. And it was sort of writing what you know, which I've come to learn writing what you know doesn't mean, oh, it has to be like in this instance, it has to be all about ice road trucking. No, that's just a part of it. The rest of the story evolves around uh, that little bit of detail that you know and how it, how it could relate. And, uh, you know, my next one was, is about storage because I, I work in self-storage and mm. uh, it's not about self-storage at all. But it takes place around there where I can kind of work the story around there. And that's something I think is really cool is how that inspiration struck you. And then you wrote that next book really quick. And going forward with Highwayman, I, I'm sensing another uh, bit of inspiration there as well. Well, yeah. I mean, there's uh, – now, I mean, I didn't go to Quantico and I didn't uh, I didn't fly down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> okay, in all honesty. Um, but, uh, I immersed myself in, cause we're, we're talking about profiling, serial killers, myths, and I really wanted to have all my ducks in a row. So from my personal life, what I drew from it is that every place, cause this is called highway man. So this is a guy kills all over the country, right? Mm-hmm. I've been to every one of the, every one of the places. I know those roads intimately cause I drove a truck for 10 years on them. I went into all of these places. So there's, these, uh, you know, sites where the, the murders in the book, and that's what it's about is a serial killer, where they're taking place. I've been to these places. Don't go back there because you might find bodies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so that, that part was easy, like as easy as the ice road thing where I'm up there. The difference with the ice road thing is, is that, for me, that was a, such a new experience, and I was like a sponge, just sucking up everything I saw. I mean, you know, you you meet weird and interesting people in these places, and they impress on you. And and so, from Highwayman and or the Highman book series for these two books, Highwayman and its follow up four, uh, I have been to all these places, and they were planned out exactly like that. The difference is, is I'm not a police officer, but I have had. Uh, a vested interest in the police procedural, right back to the equinox. There's some of that in there, and I'm a, I'm an avid reader of true crime. I've, I've uh, and like I'm I'm not crazy about or you know you know what I mean. But I <laughs> I, I I like true uh, or I've read a lot of true crime. Some of it is just wow. And I thought if I'm going to write these books, I have to immerse myself. So for roughly two years, all I I read and ate and you know digested documentaries, books, uh, and, and, and a funny story is that's what led me to Wild Blue Press because one of the guys uh, that, uh, one of the books that I read was by Kevin M. Sullivan, and he was the author of The Bunny Murders, A Comprehensive History. So that's one of the books that I read, and I was so very impressed with it and found out so much, you know, I gleaned so much from that in how I was going to build my character. He wasn't going to be Ted Bundy, but I looked at some of Bundy's traits 
And, you know, you compare them to other serial killers, and, and, and there's almost a thread that runs through many of them that they share the same kind of thing. You know, either they're narcissistic or, you know, you know uh, a lot of them come from an abused background, and then there's some that don't. But they, they, a lot of them have very common, or they have a lot of commonalities. And uh, so, anyways, I got a hold of this Kevin Sullivan guy, and I said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I'm not, I'm not, because Kevin's Kevin's a pretty successful writer. I said, I'm not here to bug you. I just want to tell you that I'm writing a, a book, uh, and I was using, reading one of your books for research, and he said, well, have you found a publisher yet? <laughs> and I said, well, you know. And so Kevin didn't get me in there. I went in old school. I submitted, and, and they accepted. Mm-hmm. It took a while. Um, but I, I certainly can credit him with, you know, mentioning Wild Blue Press to me. And, you know, they're just, they're a great bunch of people to be with. They, they're very supportive. They get out there and they're, you know, I mean, they, this is a, this year is when I saw my work go to audiobook and I was blown away because I'd never had that, that before. And, uh, you know, it's cool. You get to do auditions for the, the readers and, uh, you know. So the art, so you got the high women. And yeah. then the follow-up that's, uh, by the time this, the, when this episode drops, it'll be the day that 4 comes out, which is not so much a sequel. The, these happen, are they, is it linear? Are they happening at the same time? Oh, well, um, I mean, Highwayman's already out. Highwayman is the first half of the story, 4 is the second half of the story. Oh, okay, okay. Well, well, I meant, like, do the stories take place at the same time, but okay, so that it is a, a yeah. sequel. Yeah. It's linear, and the one thing about my book, about these two books, is they're written with a, a very chronological timeline, and almost with a hint of true crime feel to them. Mm. You know, have dates and, and and places and and all that, and everything does kind of intersect as it goes. So where, without giving away the end of Highwayman, where it leaves off, the story picks up within a year. In four. Oh, okay. And now, how many how many of these do you think there will be in this series? Well, I had I had, think I have at least three. I I've got two right now. I'm bouncing around. I got well, I've got probably I don't know. I don't want to say a third of a manuscript written, but I've got a good idea where that story is going to go. And then I've got another one which is was is a setup from these books that that I'm just busting at that I want to do. But I don't know. I, I don't. We'll take it as far. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, look. If, if people don't read the the series, then what's the point of writing the series? So mm. if if it if it gets good reception, I'm game. Like I'm I'm game for another book for sure. But I, you know, I've also got a really good juicy horror novel uh, floating around in the back of my gray matter that I I wouldn't mind going back and doing one of those. Maybe take a break from the Highwayman series. Go back, write a horror novel, and then come back and write that other Highwayman book. But I have a feeling I'm going to have to write the next Highwayman book. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's cool. All right. Well, since you brought it up, what what are you working on? Well, that's that's what I'm actually that's what I've, I am working on is the next Highwayman book, and I it's it's just it's going to have a, a probably well the protagonist from this book is going to be in the next book, uh, but it's going to be a whole different deal and. Uh, I've got what I've done with this series, okay, and is at the end of the four, without having a spoiler, in the end, the epilogue 
it leads you into the next Highwayman book. So I tie up the story and and then at the end is you get kind of a little prelude to what's coming in the next book, a little, just a little piece, but it's, it's also, you know, a part of that story. So, you know, Oh, okay. Well, what about this? What are these guys doing? Right. So without, without giving it away, I, I won't go any further into it, but that's, that's the intention with these books is that when I finish that book, I'll have to tie into the next story and, and it, it'll just keep going until, you know, I just run out of ideas or people tell me to go away. <laughs> uh, very cool. So since you began this, uh, you know, as a blue collar guy who's worked for a living and still works for a living, uh, but you're writing these books, getting to kind of live out the dream. What, what, what is something that you've learned about yourself in this process? Oh, what have I learned about myself in this process is, well, you know, I, look, I, I think I've become a lot better writer over the years. And I'll, I have a, like I had a mentor who, uh, when I sent him the first chapter, I agonized over it for about a month, right? He's, he said, just send me chapters and I'll send them up. Some, you know, like this. And this guy's a, a historian and a historical writer and he's probably, one of the most knowledgeable people about World War One in Canada, and, and he's he's written or he's helped in background with uh, very well known authors as well. So I was freaked right out, and so I held on to that chapter and polished and polished. You oh God, there's a comma here. Oh no, you know. And, and finally, I sent it to him, and he sent it back with his notes, and then he said, "By the way, what was the holdup with getting this chapter? I thought you said it was written." So I confessed, and I said, "Well, man, I was so scared." That, you know, you were going to tear me down, you know, because I respect you as a writer. I'd read, read a couple of his books. And he said, just write the fucking thing. <laughs> right. And I and I said, what? He, he said, look, this is the best advice I can give you. If you have a story and, and you know where point A is and you got a darn good idea. See how I went G, G rated there. Darn good idea. Uh how to get to, you know, point Z in the story. He said, damn the torpedoes, write it. Don't worry. Don't freak out about the grammar. Don't freak out about the polishing. You just, you know, get in your car and put the pedal to the metal and get the story written. He said, cause you're going to be going over that thing like ad nauseum after it's done. So get the story out while you're fresh and while it's all in your mind. And it was probably the best advice I ever got. From in in regard to writing because it's true, I, I see a lot of young writers today. You'll you know if I, I'm a part of, of a couple of writing forums and you'll see them saying, "Well, I'm I'm agonizing over this paragraph or I'm plotting this or that." And I think that you a lot at least for me and maybe it's different for other people, but I think I'm better served if I just write the thing. I just just go and. That way, I got a full head of steam, and then I can go back and go, oh, my God. Oh, geez, look at the mess, right? But that's what editing is for, right? Yeah, no, oh, my gosh, that was that's fantastic advice. I wish somebody had told me that I was probably at the six-and-a-half, seven-year mark before somebody told me, you know, you're just polishing a turd. Just, just get it out. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, for, you think yeah. when you're spilling the page, you think you're an absolute genius. 
So, you know, I said, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought of that. I'm brilliant. And then go, go back and go, holy crap, i got to clean that up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. I love that. I love that. MJ, where can uh, where can people find and follow you online? Well, they can, they can find me on – I'm on Facebook, and I have it public now. I had it kind of friends of security because, uh, you know, just had issues. You know, somebody was – you know – you know what Facebook's like, eh? If you answer mm-hmm. somebody, next thing you know, you're getting, they're sending out messages to people you know and you don't know who they are. So I had it kind of private, but because of what I do, it has to be public. And I'm usually pretty good. If somebody sends me a friend request, the first thing I'm going to do is go check that they're not a 19-year-old girl in different stages of undress. <laughs> as soon as I see that, it's like, oh, okay, boom, you're gone. But, you know, if somebody's got a Facebook page and, and, and they they like my work and they're interested in my work, uh, you know, I'm pretty open to accepting friends. I have a website called mjpreston.net, which is a a constant work in process to get it how I look, you know, how I like it. Um, And you can go there and you get links to anything. If you want to get links to my books or whatever, all my books are available on Amazon as well. And, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you know, I got, I got all that, but I mean, really, I mean, you find me on Facebook or, or you go to my website, mjpreston.net and you can, you can get anywhere from there. Fantastic. Of course, everybody listening, we will, as always have the links to all of this in the show notes. So you can just click the link, find his books, find his website, find his social media and follow MJ along and, and, uh, anxiously await for this next book for, well, what can we expect from uh, from the reading today in four? Well, I'm going to go to chapter five, and this is basically the setup. And what I'll do is I'll just, like I say, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Highwayman is about the rise of a serial killer, and they're chasing it. Four is about that same serial killer, but he's honing his craft, and he's got a, you know, a massive project. And basically, without giving it away till I read the chapter, this chapter is called Chapter 5, which is Yard Street Interrupt. And I'm going to give you a reading from that, and we'll see where that takes us, and we'll leave it there. All right. Sounds good. MJ, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great, and uh, there's just so much here that I, I have a feeling we could uh, talk for hours and still oh, not yeah. even talk about everything we wanted to talk about. Oh, absolutely. I'm, uh, I've, it, you know, I had a lot of fun. So I'm, uh, I thank, thank you for having me on. I'd do it again. <laughs> oh, great, great. Well, I will probably take you up on that. The pleasure has been all mine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside, grab a drink and a cigar, and listen to our guest, MJ Preston, with his latest book available today. So go get it for Highwaymen 2. Chapter 5. Yard Street Interrupt. 12 November 2008, Grand Acres Survey, Kirkland Island, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There were four houses already built and inhabited on the newly constructed street, and another five were under construction. Beyond that lay the beginnings of a new suburb reclamation of property that used to be home to a pulp mill on the west side of the island. Kirkland Island found itself floating in the Ohio River, 17 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Once a booming industrial park, home to paper mills, steel plants, 
tank farms, and various waterborne industries, the island was quickly becoming a haven for young families just starting out. The lower property rates, local taxes, and the promise of renewal made the real estate an easy sell for property managers. As industry fell victim to the times and plants started closing their doors, developers bought up the land and began reclamation. Above the murky water of the Ohio, a blood moon cut in and out of, distorted by, but slicing through the haze of snow-bearing clouds. There would be snow, a great deal in fact, but the red sphere didn't go quietly behind the curtain of winter. It loomed in a softer hue of blood orange. Under the scarlet night, a white cargo van rolled silently through the gridwork of streets. One might think the vehicle transported a contractor, perhaps wandering the new survey, making some final adjustments or inspection. But the occupants of this vehicle had a more sinister agenda. It rounded the bend, yielding to the newly erected stop sign, working its way down to where the four completed houses sat. Once there, it parked at the end of the street, idling until the moon succumbed to the clouds and was gone. When the van's back doors opened, three shadowy figures stepped out onto the street. For a moment, they were stiff and robotic. Then each was handed a carry bag, looking like a tool bag, by someone inside the vehicle. Each figure was a frozen silhouette against the darkening sky, standing side by side, waiting for something. The doors closed, and, as if on cue, they began to walk up the street together until they reached the first house. One of the figures stopped abruptly at the end of the drive, watching as the others continued. Then the second figure reached the second driveway and halted, and the third man took his place at the next. In unison, they turned their heads, focused on the vehicle, which began to glide back down the street past each figure until it reached the fourth house. The engine shut off. There was a moment of pause. Then again, the rear doors of the panel van opened and out stepped the fourth figure. This one placed his bag on the ground, closed the back doors, picked up the bag, and proceeded to the end of the driveway. The figure turned his head and nodded. All four started for the door of their assigned house. The lives of the inhabitants of each house were into their final minutes. And now we move to a scene break, which is three. Cliff and Shauna King were on their way to Grand Acres to peek at their new house, but it really wasn't a house at all. The contractors had poured the foundation. And for now, it was only a concrete pad set into the dusty gravel lot. That didn't matter to Shauna, who could hardly contain her excitement. This was their first house, and she could not wait to move out of the apartment they were renting. Hurry up, Cliff. You drive like an old man, she prodded, but it was all in good fun. She loved him so much, wanted to have his child, but for now, she wanted to start a new life in their new home. Listen to old Leadfoot, Cliff remarked and smiled back. Don't get your knickers in a twist, sweetie. Come on, come on, she hammered on his shoulder with the heel of her fist. Just ahead, the four completed homes gave off light. Shauna looked at them, thinking to herself it wouldn't be long before their house 
would be finished and ready to occupy. In five weeks, they would take possession. Cliff turned left down Yard Street, away from the completed homes. Shauna spotted the panel van, but gave it little, if any, thought. The stonework on the fourth house was what had her attention. It was the same masonry she'd ordered for their place. She wanted to look at it, even touch it. Had she made the right choice? It was only a part of the process she was unsure of. Randy, the lady who had sold the house, had rushed her on that, and picking everything had been a bit overwhelming. Now she was second-guessing herself, tempted to get Cliff to turn back. But he was off in his own world. You can't change it anyway, she thought. Three, four, five, Cliff said, reciting the street numbers. There it is. He pulled the Chrysler Sebring off in front of their lot and put it into park. Reaching across the seat, he placed his hand on her leg, his fingers running down the seam between her legs. The first thing I'm going to do when we get the keys is fuck your brains out on the stairwell. Shauna felt a shiver of sexual excitement up inside her, but she took a breath and pushed it off as she pulled his hand from between her legs. No, you don't, she whispered and kissed the back of his hand. The first thing you'll do is go down on me in the foyer, and when I'm satisfied, you can fuck my brains out on the stairs. She dropped his hand, opened the passage door, and got out into the night air. If she didn't, she might end up having sex with him right there in the sea brain. That would be an exercise in cramped futility. No, it would be better to wait until they got home, and then they could rock that old bed long and hard. Four. The door to the first house opened, and the figure stepped out and paused on the doorstep. Looking down to his left, then the doors to the second, third, and fourth houses opened. Those figures also stepped forward. Like mute robots, they proceeded down the walks and onto the driveways. Their business here was done. Behind them, the front door of each house stood open, lights spilling out into the evening air, offering invitation to anyone with the nerve to come and see inside. The first figure opened the back doors of the van and placed his bag inside as the others approached. He didn't wait for them. Instead, he walked around to the driver's door and opened it, just as the second figure reached the back. Then the third, and finally the fourth, climbed in and closed the doors behind him. The engine growled, and with the same stealth, with which it had arrived, it glided down the street and was gone. Five. Turn right, Cliff, Shauna blurted. I want to take a look. She was bouncing up and down in her seat like an excited child. Come on, Shauna, I want to go home. I got to get up at 5 a.m., he said. But he was already turning the corner because arguing with her would be pointless. When Shauna got something in her head, there was no turning back. Just for a minute, baby. I want to look at the stonework, then we can go home. She reached over and caressed his leg, then smiled seductively. I promise. There was no arguing with that. The fourth house was roughly 300 yards up the street, but as they closed the distance, neither Cliff nor Shauna was thinking about how the stonework would look on their new home. Instead, both were wondering why the front doors of all four houses were standing open in the dark of night. They coasted up to the fourth house and stopped in front of it. Shauna suddenly felt uneasy, her stomach tightening as an inexplicable anxiety rolled through her. 
Something was wrong. She could feel it. Cliff? What the hell? He muttered, opening the car door. Cliff? Maybe we should go. Is that what I think it is? He was stepping out now. What are you doing? Is that... He walked around the car, ignoring her, and started across the lawn toward the front door. For a second, he paused and looked back at his wife, confusion dawning on his face, uncertainty in his eyes. Or was it fear? Shauna suddenly felt anxiety begin to churn deep inside her belly. Something was wrong. She saw it in his face. He had his back to her, talking slow, methodical steps toward the doorway. She wanted to chase after him, but was too terrified to unlock the door. She pushed the button to roll down her window, but before she could call out his name, disappeared through the front entrance. Thirteen seconds would elapse from the moment he slipped through that doorway and reemerged. For Shauna, it was an eternity. He was standing there, a silhouette against the wash of white light. She couldn't see his face, but she recognized how his shoulders so often slumped. What is he doing? Why is he standing there? She thought and then said, Cliff! His head caught to the right, like a dog trying to comprehend language, and then he exploded into action, sprinting for the car. He bumped against the right fender, and there was an audible thud. That should have been followed by a curse, but he just rounded the car and yanked the door open. As a matter of fact, he pulled the door so hard, it creaked in protest as it swung beyond its usual arc. Cliff, what is it? she asked. He dropped into the car and turned the key without even thinking that he'd left it running. The gear in the starter ground against the spinning flywheel. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, he blathered. He cranked the gear lever into reverse and punched the gas pedal onto the floor. Shauna's neck snapped to the right following the command of G-force created by the motion of the car. And if that wasn't enough, Cliff tromped on the brakes, sending her head back against the headrest. Before she could protest... He shoved the accelerator to the floor, and they were off and running. Fuck me. Oh, God, fuck. He was staring straight ahead. Which way did they go? Who? What? The van, Sean. That fucking white van. Which way did it go? He was digging in his jacket, fumbling for something as he turned the wheel to the left. Did you see it? I don't, I don't know. She started to cry. Here. He pulled out what he was fumbling with and tossed the cell phone toward her. Call 911. Call them now. The cell phone bounced off her lap and onto the floor. What is it, Cliff? What did you see? Call them, Shauna, he ordered, then tromped on the brakes again. Fuck me! Shauna grabbed the cell and looked up. Cliff was breathing in and out, in and out. She swore she could hear his heart hammering inside his chest cavity. Then she saw what made him hit the brakes. The van was stopped 400 yards ahead of them idling at a stop sign. Cliff never tore his eyes from the van. Call them, Shauna. Tell them where we are. Tell them everyone is dead. Tell them to hurry. He clamped onto the steering wheel, his knuckles whitening. He swallowed and waited to see what the van would do. 911, what is your emergency? Police, fire, or ambulance? Shauna gaped at her husband, then to the white van. We're in Grand Acres. We need the police. Everyone is dead. Please hurry. I think we're in real danger. The brake lights on the van suddenly released, and Cliff reached across and took Shauna's hand in his. 
His palm was sopping with sweat, but worse, it was shaking horribly. Get ready to hold on to something. Cliff, what did you see? He expelled a breath, his eyes darting momentarily in her direction, then back. Then the right signal on the van began to blink, and it turned the corner. After a second, it was gone, but Cliff didn't move an inch. He was locked on that corner, waiting. Cliff! He turned to her, his face chalky with shock, eyes wide, and finally spoke. They killed everyone, Shauna, he whispered, almost as if he believed the vehicle they rode in might be bugged. Everyone in that house was murdered. His voice hitched. Everyone, Shauna, even the kids. Oh, my God. He reached out, taking her hand in his. Neither spoke. Terror filled the night, and it seemed an eternity before they heard the first distant call of sirens. And that was M.J. Preston reading a sample chapter from his latest book, Four, book two of the Highwayman series. Hey, the book is available today, February 25th, so click the link in the show notes for that book and for his websites and other links so you can follow him. Go get yourself a copy today like I have. And don't forget to also click the links in our show notes for our friends and sponsors alike. And you especially don't want to forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when we come back with an all-new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you again real, real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.